You're listening to The Beauty Brains, where real scientists answer your beauty questions. And now, here's Randy and Perry. Hello and welcome to The Beauty Brains. I am cosmetic chemist Perry Romanowski, and with me as always... Randy Schuler, also cosmetic chemist. Don't forget about me. Oh, that's right. You you were been a formulator longer than me. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Hey, Randy, we've got a big show today, um, and we're trying out our new format again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll cover some beauty science news that both of us found interesting, and we answer questions that uh, listeners sent in. So today we'll learn about whether beauty science is empowering. Um, we also will learn about sunscreen and the difference between sunscreen and sunblock and lots of other sunscreen questions this is actually all sunscreen <laughs> <laughs> all, all sunscreen, sunscreen show, all the time right? tis the season all right but before we get on to that uh, i wanted to relay this uh, interesting thing that happened to me at, at dinner the other day oh okay um and it's it's beauty related so i was I, I was having dinner with a friend of mine who's in the industry he's he's also a formulator mm-hmm. And I hadn't seen him in a while, and we are actually the same age. And he says to me, he says, boy, I, how do you look so much younger than me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, which is it's funny because I don't use really any anti-aging products. Hell, I shave with just water and, <laughs> and a razor. I don't even use shaving cream. What? Um, I, I didn't know that. I, I know that you... Wash your clothes as you shower, <laughs> but that's about that. the extent of my knowledge of your personal care habits. It's 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 more efficient. Actually, you know, I I've I've seen a few YouTube videos where people uh, they take a video of them getting ready. I thought maybe I would uh, put together one of those for the beauty <laughs> rains. That's awesome. <laughs> look for that in the future. Right, anyway, so. anyway, so so the guy says to me, "Well, you know, how come you look so much younger?" I I, I don't know. You know, I. I exercise a lot. I think I think right. exercising helps you look younger. Um, and then I said, well, I, I don't smoke. And uh, it turns out he's a smoker. Oh, gee. <laughs> so like, like, the number one thing you can do to look younger, forget everything. I mean, I suppose cosmetic surgery is probably the number, number yeah, one thing. There but, you go. but for lifestyle choices, the number one thing you can do to look younger don't smoke. <laughs> Smoking <laughs> makes you look older. Uh, the number two thing, incidentally, is to wear sunscreen. So don't smoke, wear sunscreen. And that's pretty much, what, 85, 90%? That's, that's a big chunk of it. And the same advice uh, applies to, you know, you see all these uh, fear-mongering stories about, you know, don't use this ingredient or that ingredient in your cosmetics. Stop smoking first, then worry <laughs> right, about those right. ingredients because the damage <laughs> from the cigarette's much worse. But <laughs> exactly. So there you go. All right. Should we start out today with the uh, beauty science stories? Yes, but hey, let me give a quick shout out first. I want to say thanks to Jennifer who did the introduction for today's show, uh, and I just want to remind everybody that you, if you want to hear your voice on the program. You can actually do it a couple ways, but if you want to record the intro to the show, you just pull out your trusty smartphone and you just say the same thing that Jennifer said at the top of the show. Just go back and replay that to refresh your memory. Uh, And then just email that sound file to us at thebeautybrains at gmail.com and you can introduce the show for us. 
Yeah, we we like to get different uh, a a variety of voices on the show, <laughs> which is why we we why we appreciate audio questions. And, and that's the second way, exactly. You can re- record an audio question. We'll get to our cosmetic questions portion of the show. I'm rebranding that now. You see how I've done the alliterative <laughs> title? It's cosmetic questions. That's oh, the yeah, section that's of the show. Okay, very nicely done. But before we get to that, we have to get to some beauty science news. All right, I'll take the first uh, news story today, um, and it's uh, it's beauty related. I'll get to how it's beauty related, but it's actually a food story. Okay. Um, it's here's an it's an announcement by the Kraft Food Company about their mac and cheese product. Um, so, Kraft just announced that it reformulated its classic macaroni and cheese product, mm-hmm. and by removing artificial preservatives, flavors, and dyes from the products. Now, to do this, they replaced standard food colorings with spices like paprika, annatto, and turmeric. Uh, For preservation, they they probably just rely on a low level of water, and then they have a high level of salt in the product. load of sodium, (laughs) yes. In in, in fact, an entire box of this stuff contains 72% of the recommended salt (laughs) intake for a day. Wow. So the thing about preservation is that they probably didn't need they probably didn't change anything about the preser- they probably didn't need preservatives yeah, right. Right. Yeah. With, with that much salt. Now the interesting part of the story is that they made this change back in December of 2015, mm-hmm. which was about what four five months ago. Yeah. Um, and they've sold over 50 million boxes, and apparently nobody noticed the changes. Hmm. Right. Okay. Now, this kind of thing actually happens a lot in consumer goods industries like foods and cosmetics. In fact, your favorite products, the ones that you use and you're loyal to all the time, uh, they're frequently changed right under your nose without you really noticing. Oh, absolutely. Now, Kraft claims that they made the changes because of requests from parents. I'm a bit more cynical, and I, I think this was really just a marketing ploy to trick cosmet- uh, trick consumers into believing that mac and cheese will now be more healthy for people, right? <laughs> uh, now, I would say that there is no evidence that the changes they made, I mean, the removing the artificial dyes and flavors, uh, made the product more healthy, right? Right. And indeed, with the 72% of your recommended daily salt <laughs> intake... I really don't think this qualifies as a health food, right? Well, but to be fair, there's also a lot of fats and starches in the product too. So <laughs> exactly, uh, and by themselves, they're not bad. It's like you know calories and things. But right. so anyway, so that gets to one point of why a formula would be changed. It's really marketing reasons are why a formula would be changed, and so I think they did this for marketing reasons, right? Right, but if so, if you're changing a formula for marketing reasons, then you need to market that change. So in this case, they did say whatever now without artificial dyes or whatever the right. language was. I, I thought that was the interesting part of this. They they told people they made the change. Oh, we did it months ago. You didn't even notice. <laughs> so they didn't. I, I sorry, I'm not up on my mac and cheese lore, yeah. but they didn't uh, put a you know starburst on the box saying now free of artificial dyes. Nothing like that. No, not initially. They just did a soft launch. Okay. I imagine they I imagine they got a little skittish. Like remember when uh, new Coke came out? <laughs> sure. So Coca-Cola back in was uh, probably the 90s, they switched their formula and they said there's no more Coke, it's new Coke. Right. <laughs> and that caused a huge outrage. Right. <laughs> if they would have just like subtly changed it, I don't think they would have had the same. Maybe, but they in that case they also significantly changed the flavor and this is right. A color change that's relatively invisible. So right, and I think mac and cheese is one of those iconic 
food stables, right? Which, uh, staples? Stables? <laughs> it's food for horses. <laughs> anyway, they I think they were hedging their bets where they make this change. If they didn't get any complaints about it, then we'll tell people we made the change. Oh, right? yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I thought it'd be interesting to, to, to talk about why some other reasons that people would change their formulas, right? Okay. So marketing is one reason. Another big reason is cost savings. Now, we spent a lot of time coming up with uh, cosmetic formulas that would perform the same, but they'd be less expensive. Right. You know, for hair products, you might change the fragrance level, the, the detergent level, and make little tweaks. And, you know, consumers are surprisingly bad at noticing differences, right? right? Another reason might be like regulatory reasons, like some ingredient gets a bad name, yep. so they might change that. And then finally, when a big company buys a small company, they often will have to change the formula, you know, I don't know, to get economies of scale or to just to make it fit in better with their system. Now, when companies do change formulas, now they go through extensive consumer testing, at least, you know, the big companies do, mm -hmm. right? And they do the best to ensure that people aren't going to notice any differences. Now, no doubt, this is what Kraft did when they reformulated their macaroni and cheese, right? I'm, I'm sure before oh, they put it on the market, right. they, they did, did test to so, show that people either couldn't tell or didn't care about small differences in color and probably taste as well, because if they're right. using some spices to impart color, that could theoretically change yeah. the taste. Well, you know what, I, th I think one of the things is that since this product is mostly eaten by children, I mean, right, <laughs> yeah, the kids, kids are probably not going to say anything, right? <laughs> you know, even if the kid noticed a subtle difference, I doubt they'd say right. anything to their parents. Now, one of the things about these formula changes, though, and when we make them in, in cosmetics, is that while they're tested to not be noticed by, like, the population, mm -hmm. Individuals might actually notice those changes more. So if you are a loyal fan of whatever you use in your Dove product right. or your um, your Yves Saint Laurent's. <laughs> Saint-Tropez, good, okay. <laughs> Saint-Tropez. Um, and you're using it and you love it, and then one day you use it and it's, it's different. They might have changed the formula. They might have tested it with a big uh, group of consumers yeah. who didn't notice, but you particularly will notice. So if you have a product that you've been using forever and it seems like it's not working the same, there's probably a pretty good chance that the formula was changed somehow. Well, and the other thing to look out for are the the, um, the, the compilation of iterative changes. You know, you, you change it 10% this year and nobody can tell from, you know, 100% to 90%. Next year you go right. from 90 to 80. Pretty soon you've gone from 100 to 60. Right. That's a big difference. So right. you got to be careful in the, the effect of those cumulative changes. Yeah, it's, it's kind of one of those things where you use the product and you stop using it. And then three years later you use it again. You're like, wait, yeah. this is totally different. Yeah, that that, that happens. happens a lot. Yeah. yeah. So Very good. Uh, you're familiar with the website Realize Beauty? Sure. Uh, it's written by Amanda, Amanda. Foxen-Hill. Yeah, she's a cosmetic chemist in Australia. Great website. Rec strongly yeah. recommend it. You uh, can actually hear an interview with Amanda Foxen-Hill on Chemist Corner. We God, can we get through at least one show without you plugging Chemist Corner? It's shameless. All right. Uh, well, anyway, Amanda recently published an article that really really resonated with me. So I wanted to get your thoughts on it and, and, and see what our listeners think as well. So I'll put a link in the show notes uh, so you can read the entire thing. But let me just quickly summarize it here. So the gist of the article is she's asking herself if writing about beauty science actually empowers people. I mean, that's one of the things we've done from the get-go, right? That was our belief that make people, you know, help people be smarter, 
make smarter decisions about the products they're buying. And yes, that's a way to empower them. Exactly. So, well, after some reflection on this, she says that no, it, it doesn't really empower people. Uh, and that in some cases, and I quote here, her here, the scientific discipline that I am part of has contributed to a dumbing down of the very thing I was trying to promote. Now, she explains this by saying that, uh, and again, I quote, anybody can blog about cosmetic chemistry, and these days, anybody does. <laughs> uh, she, sa she says at first, the bloggers who wrote about beauty science were industry experts. Um, she started in 2007, which was just a year after us, by the yeah, way, yeah. Ha happy 10th anniversary, by the way. Wow, 10 years. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, we should, we'll have to do something for that. But anyway, uh, so she said, yeah, initially the, the bloggers were industry experts. They wanted to help people better understand how products work and so forth. But now she says the people, uh, there are people with very little or no experience of how the industry works or, you know, what the procedures and guidelines or laws are in place in the global marketplace, not to mention any local region. And now these people are happily sharing their pearls of wisdom out to the general public and passing it off as gospel. And then she says, as that happens more and more, she feels that people are becoming paralyzed by all this information and, and sometimes misinformation and that they feel like they're getting the right answers, but in reality, they're often completely lost. So now she says that, that people seem to not know what they, you know, when they can and can't trust the answers they're, they're seeing online and, and wherever, I guess, mostly online. So the people are actually becoming frustrated and angry. So, you know, too much conflicting advice, people don't know where to turn, so it's gotten to the point where she thinks if you're writing about beauty science, it's got the potential to empower people, but sometimes it just ends up enslaving them. Ah, well. So, wow, I, I thought that was a bit of a cynical look at things. <laughs> I mean, I, it is. I, I don't know what you think. I, I certainly agree with Amanda that there's a, a ton load of crappy information out there. Yep. Um, and I think you do need to be disciplined and take some responsibility for considering the sources if you know if you are going online and looking for information um you know it, it, there are some basic things you can do to, to at least get a sense if the if the information is reliable i mean look up the credentials of the person writing this it's just just right. you know is it a person like i mean if, if you go to our website or many of the other beauty science websites that we're um friendly with you'll see an about page and on that about page you can see you know, the person's, you know, information like you'd see in a LinkedIn profile, right? Publications they've written, who they've worked for, how long they've been in the industry, patents yeah. that they might have, right? So if you see somebody who's in the beauty science industry and they, they've got that level of expertise displayed, you, you can feel pretty good, you know, that their, their advice at least is coming from a place of um, valid information. Right. But if it's just some, you know, some... I don't know. I don't want to slander anybody, but some 14-year-old boy who's got a YouTube channel, guess what? <laughs> that might not be as reliable. It, it, it is true. Um, the internet makes it so easy for anybody to publish anything they yeah. want, right? And it makes it harder for consumers to uh, find out what's true. Uh, but, you know, I, one thing I would have to disagree with a bit here is that I think uh, this was always the case. When we started uh, blogging, there was plenty, most of the beauty bloggers were just regurgitating press releases that they got from the marketing arms of True. Uh, most beauty companies, right? They True. weren't telling what's yeah. real out there. And while I think 
now there's more there's more people like us who have scientific backgrounds and talking about things but there's also more people who don't <laughs> who don't know much and they're making money on their beauty blogs uh, you know Somehow, somehow we haven't been able <laughs> to leverage that here. Well, they, they say the truth will set you free. They didn't say you're going to make any money by doing it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, That's, it's a, a, uh, go ahead. No, no, most, mostly I, I think that we are doing a good service here. And, you know, if you build it, it will come and people will be able to tell eventually whether what you're saying is, is real or not. Well, and you have to know what you're looking for. So, you know, we tend to uh, skew towards reviewing the scientific literature to show what things really work, right? right. So if, if you're looking for that kind of evidence, then you need to look for, you know, people who are reviewing peer-reviewed scientific journals. On the other hand, if you're just looking for an opinion on how a product works and how it made you feel and how the color looked, that's not what we do, and some other site is perfectly legitimate in giving you their opinion on that. So it depends yeah. on what you're looking for. Exactly. And I, I think it's important, though, that scientists and people who in the know continue to publish stuff to just to drown out the stuff that's nonsense. And I also think that Google is actually uh, redoing its search algorithms, and it's going to start ranking things by the validity of what is said rather than hmm. just ranking by links. And so... You know, in the future, the stuff that's true and that's validated should start to come to the top, and the stuff that's complete nonsense should be lost in obscurity. Yeah, right. Did, what did I miss? The Google <laughs> Truth Detector announcement? What? Are you, what is that? Uh, no, that was a that was a thing announced uh, probably starting early late last year. Okay. But Google is going to start to incorporate that. Now, no, you do raise a good point. Like, oh, why is Google the arbiter of what is true or not? <laughs> But, um, you know, I figure they've probably figure someone has to, right? So then maybe we should write posts about Google being correct so they'll think we're truthful and raise our rank. I don't know. I don't know. What to do. <laughs> I, I think we should just keep fighting the good fight. It is. And I hope Amanda does too. She does good stuff. Keep it up, Amanda. Don't lose the faith. All right. Before we get to our cosmetic questions, let's do a couple of quick iTunes reviews. You know that uh, these are very important to the show in terms of getting the word out on the, the truth that we like to spread. And if you uh, leave a review for us, we'll give you a quick shout out on the show. And we have a couple of t couple to do today. So I'll take the first one. Comes from Callie Krista, who says, "I'm going to be sharing your podcast with all my girly girls because I've learned so much. I'm trying to picture how you guys look based on your voices, and I've envisioned Ryan Gosling and Ryan Reynolds." So that makes me love you guys even more. <laughs> <laughs> Note to self, don't put up our pictures of ourselves. <laughs> uh, well spoken, Mr. Reynolds. Uh, oh, she had a quick question. Wait, wait. I, I, aren't I more of the Gosling? No, 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 no. I'm Gosling. You're Reynolds. <laughs> All right. uh, she did have a question, which is fine if you want to throw us a question in your iTunes review. She asked about the rumors circulating around the brand ColourPop using um, ingredients that aren't FDA approved. Actually, we already answered, uh, answered that, uh, Calacrista. That was back in episode 113. So go back to the archives and you'll hear all about ColourPop. All right, thanks for that review. Uh, Tanya84 from Canada calls us evidence-based and informative. She says she worked in R&D and is grateful for the objectivity and factual basis of what we're doing. Take that, Google. Uh, next one, Loves Beauty is a happy beauty brainiac. She says, first, your beauty product's heart is broken and your illusions dashed. But take heart, like the phoenix, you're reborn. And she loves, loves, loves the truth of the cosmetic world. 
the, there are wonderful products out there, these anti-aging ingredients that really work, and the Beauty Brains guys show you the yellow brick road to each one. And guys, I love the banter. Don't change a thing except maybe an hour-long podcast, which seems like a bit much, but all right. Thank you. Loves beauty. And don't make beauty boring. <laughs> yes, right, right. Finally, Asher1132 from the UK describes us as a double act that always manages to lift my mood and educate me so I am able to argue with the glowing orange woman who <laughs> pounces on me in the shop trying to sell me some rancid crap face cream made with bull semen. <laughs> well, we are glad we can provide that service. <laughs> oh, love that. All right, well, Perry, let's get to our cosmetic questions. Boy, I love that new theme music. <laughs> thank, thank you. <laughs> All right, well, first one comes to us from Allison. Hello, this is Allison from Dallas, Texas. I'm wondering what the difference is between a sunscreen and a sunblock. And I'm also curious what ingredients I should look for in those products that will not contribute to acne on my face. Also, when is the best time to apply sunscreen or sunblock in my morning skincare routine? Thank you. Well, thanks so much for that question. Sunscreens use UV absorbers to protect your skin, while sunblocks use minerals like zinc and titanium compounds to scatter the sunlight and prevent it from reaching your skin. Actually, the regulations in the U.S. have changed recently, and companies are not allowed to call their products sunblocks anymore. Both types of sun protection products are classified as drugs by the FDA, which has determined that they are safe and effective. That doesn't mean, however, that they're without controversy. Some people find the so-called chemical sunscreens to be irritating, and there is concern that some of these ingredients may be endocrine disruptors. On the other hand, some of the physical sunscreens, uh, which have long thought to be very inert, they may interact with sunlight in such a way to damage the skin. Mm -hmm. There's also some environmental problems with those. Yeah. Um, you know, people wear zinc oxide or titanium dioxide to the beach. It washes off, goes into the ocean, gets on to the coral reefs, bleaches yeah. them, and kills yeah. them. So that's a problem there. There's no, <laughs> no completely friendly sunscreen, right. I suppose. Should you worry about which type of sunscreen ingredient you use, though? You know, for now, I'd continue to go with the FDA recommendation on what's safe and effective and not pay too much attention to all the rumors that you might hear about these ingredients. Yeah. There's no good evidence that the sunscreens that are allowed for use by the FDA are, are in any way dangerous. And there's lots of evidence that they're beneficial in preventing problems with the skin. Absolutely. When it comes to acne, it's impossible to tell you for sure what, which sunscreen ingredients you should look for and which ones to avoid. You know, I say that for a couple of reasons. First, in addition to the sun protection ingredients, there are many other ingredients used in formulas. Yeah. Sometimes there's a carrier oil in a product that, you know, and that could make uh, an ingredient more likely to cause acne. You know, there's a, there's a classic ingredient, uh, a classic example of that. Certain red dyes are, do not cause acne at all, but if you mix them with certain oils in a foundation or whatever, then the oils carry those red pigments into the pores, and then they cause acne. So uh -huh. you do have to watch out for what the ingredients are blended with. Right, right. Uh, you, you might have luck looking for a sunscreen that's labeled non-comedogenic. So at least in that way, you know that the product's been tested specifically for whether it's going to cause acne in a significant amount of people. 
but that brings me to the second reason, which uh, is that comedogenicity testing is not an exact science. That kind of test has historically been done on rabbit ears, and it just doesn't always extrapolate well to specific people. Yeah, yeah. You know, and finally, in terms of when to apply sunscreen in your morning routine, typically sunscreen should be applied first so they can soak into your skin and form a protective film. And you should do this about 30 minutes before being exposed to strong sunlight. Good advice. Um, I, we're on a roll, so let's just do another sunscreen question. Uh, this one comes to us from Mindy, and she asks, So the sunscreens and moisturizers that I use only have a small amount of zinc oxide. I usually use it first thing in the morning, but I would like to put some sunscreen on before driving home in the afternoon. So I don't want to put moisturizer on over my makeup, uh, and I guess she doesn't like the off-the-shelf products, so she wants to put 5% zinc oxide and 5% titanium dioxide in a witch hazel spray and then just use that you know, as a, as a sort of end-of-the-day way to boost her sunscreen, just spritz that on her face. So she wants, sure. she wants to know if that's a good idea. Okay, I hate to tell you this, Mindy, <laughs> it's not a good idea uh, for several reasons. Um, so first of all, the, the physical sunscreens she asked about specifically, the zinc oxide and, and titanium dioxide, they're not water-soluble or even water-alcohol-soluble. So that means whatever she would put in, you know, witch hazel, which is basically water and alcohol, uh, it's just going to settle to the bottom of the bottle. It's not going to disperse. Right. It's certainly not going to dissolve. Now, you might say, well, okay, gee, can't I just shake it up really good before I spray it? Well, no. These materials, especially the titanium dioxide, tend to aggregate, which means they form clumps of particles if they're not dispersed really, really well. So, you know, not only would this, these, these clumps of particles make it hard to spray, you know, it'd probably clog your, spray, sp clog your spray bottle, but it also reduces the coverage on your skin and impacts the product's efficacy. Um, you know, if you don't coat your skin well enough, you're not going to get good sun protection. Um, you know, and don't even think about trying to mix these together in a different product form, like in a cream or a lotion. Um, you can make a stable dispersion of, of these ingredients in a cream, but to get them to mix properly, you have to shear these things like a mother. I mean, you have to, oh. you have to, Beep. <laughs> you have to really, really shear these things up with special equipment. This is not something you can just do with with kitchen chemistry. Right. And then, you know, finally, even if you could get the particle size small enough. I'm not sure these materials are safe to inhale in, in sprayed products. So I don't I don't think the mineral sunscreens are used in any spray sunscreens, not that I'm aware of. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. So anyway, the bottom line is, Mindy, don't screw around with making your own sunscreen. Find something that's already, you know, formulated and tested and approved and find something that works in your routine, but don't take the chance of, of making your own. I have to say, this whole trend of making, or this whole idea of making your own sunscreen, is just baffling to me. Well, I mean, there's so <laughs> many op, there's so many options out there, right? Well, but I mean, it's it, it's only baffling in the sense that I'm surprised people don't understand it's more risky than than they they do, right? I mean, people like to do it yourself, you know. They, they I mean, there's that's a that's a huge trend in the industry. So I understand the compulsion. But no. people just, it's not like a regular cosmetic. These are over-the-counter drugs. They may, they need to work a certain way if they're going to protect you from skin cancer. So don't right. screw around with making your own. Yeah, sunscreens are just, they're really more complicated than just a regular lotion, for yeah. example. Very right. true. Well, let's stick on our uh, all-sunscreen question, <laughs> show. We're on a roll. Uh, Eva asks, 
do I really have to reapply physical sunblock, like zinc-based, every two hours? Assuming my skin doesn't perspire and sunscreen doesn't get physically rubbed off. Hmm. Also, for zinc-based sunblock, does the three-year expiration date really apply? First, um, first, I should say that this notion of a you know, physical sunscreen and chemical sunscreen, that has always bothered me. How so? Because they're all chemical sunscreens. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I just, it, you know, because you get, that leads to this claim like chemical-free sunscreen. Granted, granted. It's yeah. not chemical-free. <laughs> Zinc is a chemical. But I think maybe you could explain the, the difference in the way the two work, because it's, it's sort of like one is almost a more physical reaction versus a chemical reaction, and that maybe that's where this came from. But if you explain that to people, maybe you can help them understand it. Right, and so the chemical sunscreens... And you put those in air quotes, right? Okay. I, per, I prefer, actually, I prefer the term organic sunscreens and inorganic sunscreens. Oh, that's not going to be confusing to people. Because <laughs> they're going to think... Now, so you got to explain that now because you're using <laughs> organic in a different context than 99% of our audience will I, I use organic as a chemist does. And well, the word or <laughs> stop doing that. <laughs> we, we just need a different term for chemical sunscreens because... They're all chemical sunscreens, but all right. All right. Well, <laughs> so I, I think we explained, but the way that these sunblocks work is that the sunlight hits the sunblock and right. it's reflected back off the skin. Right, it literally right. bounces off. Bounces off. So the light does not enter your skin to cause a burn or skin right. cancer or what have you. Other sunscreens, other chemical sunscreens, are, they absorb the sunlight, mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's, I don't know, it's like a shield and it, it sort of absorbs the sunlight and then it dissipates the sunlight. And it gives it off as heat, right? Right. It, so it changes, so it absorbs a, a photon of light energy. Right. And then changes that, uh, the wavelength or the, the frequency of that energy and re-emits it. Re-emits it, right, yeah. exactly. And so it's... That's that's why you call it a UV absorber because it absorbs the UV light and it dissipates it. Whereas a, a, a sunblock will the light it never absorbs it just bounces off like a mirror. Right. You can think of like titanium dioxide and zinc oxide as putting tiny little mirrors on your skin, <laughs> right? And they just bounce okay. back off. All right, there you go. Sure. <laughs> now I think it's important to uh, talk about the this absorption remission cycle because what happens while like while zinc uh, or titanium dioxide, while those sunblocks they can block as much UV light as, right. as you're gonna get, right? These chemical-based uh, sunscreens, when they absorb a photon, mm -hmm. that actually changes the molecule a bit, and that makes it. Uh, at some point, those molecules can no longer absorb any more photons, right? And right. Essentially, you've you've worn out the effectiveness of that sunscreen. And that means you're going to have to reapply because the sunscreen doesn't work anymore. Exactly. Now, that's not the case with these mineral sunscreens because, you know, they're going to reflect UV light for as long as they do, right? Right. So really, I mean, this, she's asking an intelligent question. So why can't I just apply my sunblock once and be done with it? Exactly. You know, but the problem is these mineral sunblocks will be physically removed from your skin. Right. Now, that's either through sweating or from rubbing against your clothing or, you know, if you jump in the pool. And yeah. so you you can't make the assumption that you don't perspire just because you don't see it, right? right? Or that 
it, it won't get rubbed off, you know, because it will. Or just even just, you know, touching your face or whatever, you could move, move it around. So right. Eva's, that assumption she made in her question about not perspiring and not rubbing it off, that's really not right. a valid assumption. Right. It's going to happen. And, and for these products to work, they have to have an even film spread on your skin. Right. And wherever that film breaks down, you're susceptible to skin damage exactly. or sun damage. So. Uh, now, you also asked if the expiration dates apply to zinc-based sunscreens, and the answer is yes, because the emulsion in which the zinc and the titanium dioxide is suspended may not be stable for long, especially if it's left in the sun or the yeah. hot trunk of a car. Now, the particles of the physical sunscreen, they can, uh, you know, agglomerate and sort of start combining, and then it's not going to be as effective. So if it said it was SPF 30, over time, the particles might, you know, join together, and now you really only get, are getting SPF 18 or something like that. Right. Just remember, you have to shear these things like a mother that's, it's not that complicated. <laughs> Another B. <laughs> all right. Well, there was. Uh, I think that's all the questions we have time for. Huh? I, I feel kind of sunscreened out. I think we covered it pretty well. It's, but it's a topic that comes up a lot in this show. We get a lot of questions, and now at least here in the northern hemisphere, at, at the time of recording, we're moving into summer, so we'll we'll probably exactly. touch on this uh, again before the season ends. And now, since uh, since we're getting many requests for, it, uh, we are just going to. Uh, do some scatting for the next 25 minutes so we have an hour-long show. What? <laughs> no, I, we agreed not to do the hour-long show. I don't want to subject people to any more than they can withstand. 25 minutes of comic book movie talk? <laughs> okay, I'm in. <laughs> Starting with I'm afraid, Civil War. <laughs> I'm afraid the rest of our audience won't be, so we better end up here. All right, fine. Well, thanks for another great show, Perry, and thanks to our listening audience for sticking with us. And thanks for everybody. And what do we say? What's our sign off? Here's what remember. we say. <laughs> remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everybody. Sunshine on my shoulders makes me happy.